everyone, welcome to another episode of Cultivate and Keep. I'm Corey, and in place of Jeremy today, I have a guest. My guest today is Kevin Fontenot. He is the lead pastor and church planter of City Church in Denton, Texas. Um, Kevin also has a really strong marketing background in tech, uh, which is essentially where we got connected over Twitter, funnily enough, and previously head up marketing for Serve HQ, uh, which created like a suite of products for churches to better enable their volunteers. Um, so Kevin, super glad to have you on. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So to give us a little bit idea of who you are um, and maybe kind of where you came from, could you tell us a little bit about your upbringing, you know, family, where you grew up, how you grew up, all that good jazz? Yeah, absolutely. This is a fun place to start because um, it's interesting. I'm, I'm a pastor now and I surrendered to ministry in high school, knew I was called to ministry, but I didn't grow up in a Christian family. Um, my mm. parents were nominally Christian. Uh, they actually got divorced divorced when I was in elementary school around fourth grade. And that was an interesting time because although I never remembered going to church as a child, I remember distinctly asking my mom for a Bible at one point because uh, my friends were talking about, I grew up in rural East Texas. So everyone was a Christian because that was culturally relevant and it was the accepted thing to be. And I asked my mom for a Bible one week and uh, she came home with a a dollar store Bible that was King James version. And I tried to read Genesis at some point and got, I think a page and a half in, and then it <laughs> you know went up on the shelf for, for years and years to come after that. But um, growing up nominally Christian was really interesting. When I got further into elementary school and into middle school, I started going to church after my dad had gotten remarried, um, was introduced to the gospel there, was introduced to Jesus. But since we never really committed to a church and never uh, really dug our feet in anywhere, it was just kind of this off and on relationship for a long time until high school for me. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So uh, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, how did the divorce and I mean, that's a huge part of usually it's kind of like a milestone or like a kind of turning point in a lot of people's lives. How did that affect you personally? I don't know that it affected me too much, to be honest with you. Um, everyone always asks that and always, uh, you know, makes that assumption. And I think it's probably true for a lot of people. Um, for mm -hmm. me, it just seems like something that was a part of my life and doesn't seem to have any real big consequences for me. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's good. I'm glad because for most people, it's uh, it it's a, it can be a either a really good turning point or a really bad turning point in some ways, right? It just depending on the circumstances. But um, so then, how did you end up uh, coming to the Lord and really, you know, embracing your faith, becoming a Christian, you know, getting saved uh, rather than just being kind of a, a nominal Christian? Yeah. So I was. Uh... Back row Baptist in fifth grade, prayed a prayer on the back row because uh, I was scared to death of going to hell. And then uh, junior high, I, I got baptized and that you know was supposed to be this big turning point of you know really diving into the Lord. I still wasn't really understanding it. We still weren't dug into church. And then in high school, I had an older stepsister and she had been going to youth group for a while. I went one week and um, eventually just kind of dug in a little bit into um, this thing called church and this thing called Christianity. And I, I started going regularly. I started having a desire to be around these people and uh, to sing songs. And I was a musician. And so I got to, uh, you know, hear other musicians and, and have that fun part of living life in the church with music all around me. Um, but really, it started for me. We had gotten a youth pastor who was really engaged in discipleship uh, and he was really personal. He was really hands on and he was someone that uh, really 
poured into me. He encouraged me, um, started to call out things in my life that the Lord was doing before I recognized that he was doing them. And it was during that freshman year of high school where I really dug in, really started um, reading the Bible. I started uh, praying to the Lord. I started having this real relationship with him. And that developed out of that, not only because I wanted it myself, but because I had someone pouring into me um, that really facilitated that growth in me. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Such a crazy common theme amongst a lot of people is just having that person in your life who can be a model or at least just kind of, you know, push you in the right direction, be there to answer questions. Um, and so, uh, that's really good. And so you said that was in like high school, maybe early college where a lot of that happened. Yeah. So that was early high school. Um, and then I got in a bit of trouble the end of my freshman year of high school. I, you know, I, I was always the tech guy and always a bit of a nerd and also a little <laughs> bit lazy when it came to school. And so we had this year long project that we had to do my freshman year. So I wasn't too saved at this point because I was still doing stupid stuff. And it kind of really marked a turning point for me um, at the end of my freshman year of high school. I basically stole someone else's year long project. And I can't remember exactly what we were supposed to do, but it was for my world geography class, which I hated. I was mm. terrible at it. I, it's still like my least favorite thing in the world. Um, so I took someone else's project and I tried to copy it and uh, change up enough stuff to make it look like it was my own at the last minute. And obviously I got caught because um, I you know, wasn't too smart. Um, and so got caught, got in huge trouble, got grounded for the entire summer because it was the end of the year. And uh, the only thing I was allowed to do that summer was basically go to church. And uh, mm. thankfully, my parents didn't take that away from me, although it was definitely within the punishment that almost happened was me not going, being able to go to church. And that probably would have changed my life. Uh, and my life would look a lot differently now if that had happened. Uh, but during wow. that summer, I really dove in even more to the Lord. And when you can't do anything else, you uh, spend a lot of time with the Lord when you're grounded from everything in the world that you enjoy doing. And it was during that summer, we had actually gone to a student evangelism conference. And it was at that conference where I felt the Lord calling me to ministry, which was something that was completely unknown to me. Like I said, I grew mm -hmm. up nominally Christian. Um, you couldn't be a pastor. You, you know, that was for these random people that are, you don't know how they became a pastor. They just, you know, right. they came out that way and they became a pastor. And um, feeling the Lord's calling me towards that was something that was really interesting. It was a point of contention within my family. Um, and probably is even a little bit of a point of contention to, to this day in some aspects. Um, but it was also a really great time as well for me to grow in the Lord, see that he has called me to something and really diving into that. And so uh, throughout high school, it was really growing in that and also through college as well. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, what, what did you end up doing about it? Did you go to college uh, for, um, you know, seminary or for biblical studies or basically what were the next steps after that, that kind of led you, um, or I guess that, that kind of progressed you into your career? Yeah. So ultimately that was my plan. My plan was to go to Bible college right after high school. And, um, you know, that was, I had looked at all the ones that I wanted to go to, had told my parents where I wanted to go. And ultimately, um, they felt very strongly that I shouldn't do that. 
And so I ended up not doing that. And I ended up going to uh, college at the University of North Texas here in Denton, where I currently live and uh, moved up to Denton, which was a few hours away from where I grew up. And it was during that time, you know, that was supposed to set me straight and make me want a career and all that sort of thing um, that the Lord ended up moving in my life in an even more dramatic way and uh, making me want to do ministry even more and got connected with some uh, college ministries called Chi Alpha, which is part of the Assemblies of God uh, that really helped me grow and flourish. And uh, then from there, I went on to Bible college after I had changed my major about seven different times at the University of North Texas, (laughs) because ultimately it wasn't what I wanted to do. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So basically, throughout all attempts to uh, thwart you from God's plan and to divert you away from kind of this path that you were on, God kept kind of centering you back on maybe where you were supposed to go. Um, but somehow you ended up getting involved in marketing. So, I mean, how, how did that end up happening? And basically, uh, did you end up getting involved in the ministry? Did you end up having to take, you know, a job? How did you end up getting into marketing? Yeah, so I've always been uh, entrepreneurial, and I'm I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm constantly doing stuff. I constantly have side projects, and um, even when I was at the beginning of college, I just started doing random stuff in attempts to you know try and make money different ways. And uh, eventually, I started doing IT stuff, and I worked in IT for a while um, to you know to pay the bills and all that sort of fun stuff. And through that, I started doing more and more side projects because I ultimately knew it wasn't what I wanted to do. And some of those side projects ended up kind of bridging that gap for me. Um, So I knew I wanted to be in ministry. I knew I wanted to serve the church. And so I created a few side projects that were centered around that. I started a company making websites for churches and created a church website builder that uh, was built on top of WordPress. And Hmm. through that, I got to um, had a different idea that led to a pay what you can church media marketplace called Church Media Source. And that was the one that really took off for me. And I ended up selling that, um, you know, about two years after I had created it. And it wow. also created a social media graphic service through that. And so I kind of accidentally learned how to market by creating side projects. And uh, that was how I got into marketing and then ultimately had met the founder of Trained, it was Trained Up at the time when I was running Church Media Source. And we'd got connected then. And then ultimately I was looking uh, for a job at the time they were looking on bringing someone in for marketing and then got to do that for about three years. Wow, that's amazing. So if, if you if I could, if I could just reverse really quickly back to Church Media Source, um, how did you start it? Why did you start it? And then also how and why did you end up selling it in such a short amount of time as well? It seems like it was uh, a pretty good success in such a short amount of time. Yeah, so ultimately, um, you know, I had created it because I had wanted to serve churches. And um, for me, it's really hard. And, you know, this will open up some of my internal struggle. It, it's hard for me to work for a company or be a part of a company um, that just sells things primarily to churches because my heart is to help um, the gospel go forth and to uh, make mm. disciples. And so just selling things for the sake of selling things because I have something that other people want is a difficult place to be in. And so my heart with Church Media Source was to create a marketplace that allowed churches of all sizes, of all backgrounds, to be able to get access to the same quality content. So someone could download something for free and then someone could pay $20 for the exact same thing. And um, surprisingly, it was one of those ideas that you have and you're like, yeah, 
everyone's going to download it for free. You know, if you give them the option of downloading it for free, they're going to. But surprisingly, that didn't happen. And Hmm. um, it created just a little bit of success, a little bit of buzz. But again, it was pay what you can. And when you're working with a lot of independent graphic designers who are putting their own work on there, there's not a lot of margin at the end of the day um, Hmm. for you to be able to live off on and live, live on. And so I ended up having to do other things and ultimately ended up selling all the assets of the business. So it's not even alive today. Um, And so I just sold all the assets to another company who has since changed their name to another thing. So I can't even tell you what the (laughs) progress of that looked like now. Yeah. But what a cool experience, right? To be able to start something, see some success and then eventually sell it off and, you know, get it to someone else's hands, but it's not like you, you know, abandon it or it wasn't a success in the beginning. Um, So that's super interesting that you had to go through that. And also speaking as a I think I'm pretty sure I'm an Enneagram 3. I'm kind of like an Enneagram 3 in, de- in denial a little bit, um, but wanting to start stuff. And uh, and then also you just want to keep starting things, right? And sometimes you have to let go of some of your babies so that you can put time into the right places. Um, and so at your time with uh, ServeHQ, I mean, what was the overall experience like and what did you get to do with the company? So I did a little bit of everything while I was there. Uh, you know, my official title was head of marketing or head of growth and um when I started, we were very small. Um, we weren't even really profitable at the time. We were doing side projects and things like that. Uh, the first projects I started doing when I had came on was actually some SEO work for one of the clients. So we were kind of working as like this marketing agency too, hmm. while also trying to build this um, you know, SaaS product and um, really got to put in place a lot of processes and marketing automation, try out a bunch of stuff that wasn't happening um, at the time and ultimately ended up working out pretty well. So by the one I was there, we grew by about 700% into a profitable country, uh, country <laughs> into a profitable company. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, you know, we had the GDP of a small country. No, we definitely did not at the time <laughs> of me leaving. Um, but it was a success and that was a cool thing. And we got to genuinely help churches and help pastors and help ministry leaders and see an impact through that. And that was uh, the part that was really fulfilling of seeing a positive impact on the people that we were working with. Mm. Yeah. What would you say are some of your like strengths and talents, uh, you know, giftings, um, especially, you know, maybe as an Enneagram three, but also like how do you identify and recognize those strengths within you and, you know, how to use them in a professional setting? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, um, but there is, and now I can't even remember the guy's name, um, and it's going to haunt me the rest of this interview. But ultimately, <laughs> no um, there's this guy in one of his books. is uh, It's Alan Hirsch. Um, he's a, a missiologist, and he ultimately uses this framework that he calls APEST. And it comes from mm-hmm. Ephesians 4, where it talks about um, Christ has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers for the building up the body of Christ for the work of ministry. Um, and mm-hmm. so ultimately, I identify as an A in that, which would be an apostle or an apostolic voice. And um, that can be a blessing and a curse because I see everything that's wrong and I want to fix all of it. And I want to create systems and processes and I want things to run well and I want to uh, do new things. And so sometimes that works out really well. And sometimes that works out not so well when you're trying to just put your head down and get things done when you're distracted by all the new things that you want to do or by fixing all the things that you see as broken. Right. Yeah, interesting. Um, so you, you've identified as uh, apostolic. Um, 
And so, I mean, I, I would assume that also kind of carries into now with your latest venture, which is uh, planting a church. Um, why plant a church? You know, and also kind of curious, like, it's got to be a big decision. You know, how did you finally come to that uh, ability and decision to want to plant a church? Yeah, so it was always something that I knew that I was going to do. And so that was helpful. Um, it mm. wasn't something that was just a whim that came up one day and I'm like, oh man, now we got to plant a church and do all this crazy stuff. It was always something um, that was coming in the future. It was something that my wife and I had talked about a lot, um, something we talked about before we got married. Um, it was always something, and I think this is probably even the reason that I had done so many side projects and tried so many things, especially that are ministry related or ministry adjacent, because I was trying as hard as I could to push up to that apostolic calling to go plant churches and to go do the things that the Lord's really calling me to do. But I wasn't at a place to do that um, at at that point in my life or the Lord hadn't released me to do that at that point in my life. And so I kept just trying to do things and trying to scratch that itch. And ultimately, um, in 2018, so I, I was a college dropout. I had never finished college. And in 2018, I felt the Lord uh, calling me to go back to school. And it was something that I did not want to do at all. And I put it off to the last possible minute to register for classes and ultimately registered for classes to finish my pastoral ministry degree. And, through that process of going back to school, um, I started feeling the Lord talk about church planning again and reignite some of those passions in my heart. And um, the passion for ministry has, hadn't ceased at that point, but the passion for church planning and doing something new due to some negative ministry experiences in, in the past, maybe not want to do that. And the Lord started speaking that into me. And so me being a wise man of God, um, I started making plans for the Lord. And I was like, okay, the Lord's going to call us to plant a church. He'll probably be like three to five years years. And, uh, you know, that's when we'll start having the conversation for planting. Um, and during that time, my wife works in property management. And so we were living a couple cities over from where we currently live because we were getting super cheap rent and we were saving up money to buy a house. And when we had talked about church planning in the past, we had always talked about going to plant a church in an inner city area like downtown Dallas or Southside Chicago. We wanted to go to the tough places where you knew mm. that there was a real need. And so when we felt the Lord started talking to us about church planning, we started having that conversation of, well, maybe we should move to downtown Dallas and go ahead and buy a house there if we feel the Lord calling us to church plant in the next few years. Again, just make trying to make decisions for the Lord and trying to make sense of him talking about church planning. And ultimately, we looked and didn't find anything that we liked and decided to buy a house in Denton, which is where we had lived. Um, you know, I I'd lived here for about 10 years and, uh, you know, minus that small break into a city, a couple of cities over. Um, and through that process of buying the house, as soon as we bought the house at the end of 2018, that was when the Lord started really speaking about church planning. He's like, okay, you bought a house here in Denton. Now I want you to plant a church here. And I was like, okay, yeah, sometime in the future. He's like, no, I want you to plant a church like next year here in Denton. And my immediate response was, Lord, there doesn't need, Denton doesn't need more churches. Um, Denton's a city of about 140,000 people. I didn't think it was that big at the time. And Denton sits in this really interesting area because we think of Texas as being the Bible Belt. And we think of, right. uh, you know, Dallas as even being the buckle of the Bible Belt as it's described at times. And so looking around, there's tons of mega churches around us. And, um, but our city's grown by 70% since the year 2000. We're 
adding about 3,500 people every single year. It was called the best small town in America by USA Today. We're the number mm. two boom town in America, one of the top 100 places to live by livability. And couple that with this surprising statistic for me that completely stopped me in my tracks. Um, every 10 years along with the census, there is a society of religious statisticians, which sounds like a buttload of fun. And I, I, I'm not saying that sarcastically. I'm a nerd and a data nerd. So that genuinely sounds like fun to me. And they put out some statistics that coupled the census with religious data, like number of churches. And the statistic that really got me was comparing the number of churches to every 10,000 people in the population. And Denton County, which is the county that I live in, is one of the 100 largest counties in the United States. There's about 3,200 counties for those that don't know. Um, <laughs> and Denton sits at about number 3,000 when it comes to the ratio of churches to population. So there are seven wow. churches for every 10,000 people in Denton County, which means that 97% of counties in the United States have a higher ratio of churches to population. And so that was the thing that really made me just kind of stop in my tracks and be like, okay, Lord, you know what you're talking about and I'm going to pay attention. And then he led us on this process of a year of planning, of figuring out what this looked like. Um, and that was pretty much all of 2019. And then now in 2020, we're here planning a church. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think it's so funny, you know, that, uh, again, kind of by our, our best efforts to get off the path that God is leading us down, he always brings us back, uh, if we are willing and sometimes if we are not willing, but it was interesting to me just listen to, you know, the story of kind of the inception of, um, of city church in Denton and how, you know, you bought the house and then the Lord started speaking to you, but like, how, how does the Lord speak to you and how do you feel or how do you know when he's calling you to do something, when he's calling you to do something? Like, what does that tangibly look like in your life and with your relationship with the Lord? Yeah, ultimately, um, you know, I, I'm a charismatic guy, so I believe in, uh, you know, the current day working of the gifts of the spirit. And, um, you know, my wife and I have a crazy story where I got a bunch of different prophetic words from a bunch of unrelated people um, about when I was deciding if I should try and date my wife. And um, so ultimately, wow. I, I'm really used to the Lord speaking and being able to recognize what it is he's calling me to do. I don't always want to do the things that he's calling me to do, um, but mm. it's pretty easy for me to feel the impressions of what he's doing. And typically for me, it's, um, you know, again, I, I'm an Enneagram three. I'm an ideas guy. I feel apostolic. And so it's really easy for me to get ideas. Ideas. Um, it's when those ideas continually start coming up and when it's not something that I can easily dismiss and it's something that keeps pervading mm. my thought process and um, is something that just keeps coming up when I'm praying and reading scripture and spending time with the Lord. That's when I begin to really start seeing it as the Lord calling me to do something and not just this invention in my own head of something that, you know, I want to do or something that I think is great. It's when I can't shake something. And especially mm. when it's something that is nowhere on my radar whatsoever. Right. I know I always find it ironic that sometimes we know how the Lord is talking to us and calling us when it's the things that we don't want to do. Right. <laughs> right? It's like, no God, why this thing? And, but then you're like, well, that's how I know because, um, it wouldn't be me, right? It, it would have to be the Lord calling me to do this thing because it would not come from my own intuition. 
And uh, so you mentioned that you've, you've sort of had a, um, a crazy uh, prophetic experience with um, your wife. How did you and your wife um, meet, get married? And um, I would love to hear that story between you and your marriage. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my wife and I met through a mutual friend. And so we had some friends that had a house church and um, I had been going, it was on Sunday evenings. And in addition to the church I'd been going to, I, I would go to this house church because there were a lot of my friends that were there and I enjoyed being around them. And uh, one, I, I think it was Sunday nights that we were meeting. One Sunday night, uh, one of the people that were there brought Brooke, who's my wife. And um, ultimately, I was at a time in my life where I had felt the Lord uh, telling me that he was preparing a bride for me and that um, it was coming. And so I, I was on high alert. You know, I, I was ready to be married. And, <laughs> um, and so ultimately saw Brooke. And uh, then she didn't come back to the house church, um, you know, for a number of months. And um, at the time, I was doing a little bit of evangelism, a little bit of traveling and preaching. And one Sunday, I was preaching at a church in my hometown and had driven back to Denton um, that day. And ultimately, every week, we would do these prayer requests. And we would post them online so we knew like what to pray for. And I decided I wasn't going that night because I had preached that morning. I had driven three and a half hours back home. So I was a little mm -hmm. tired. And then I saw that Brooke was there. And so that changed it for me. And ultimately I, I ended up going back and, you know, getting dressed and going up uh, to house church and showing up super late. And I'm sure it was super awkward, um, you know, that I was there, but I tried to play it off cool. And um, ultimately I, I'm, I'm introverted. My wife's introverted. And so we ended up talking through Facebook and that's how I asked her out to coffee, you know, really manly, really, uh, really motivated there, but uh, ended up working out, you know, pretty well. And so, um, but before that, asking her to coffee, I had felt very strongly that the next person I was going to date was going to be my wife. And mm -hmm. so I was very cautious about um, even asking her to coffee because I, I felt very strongly um, about that. And so during that time, I was praying and asking the Lord to confirm it. And the week before I asked her, I was seeking the Lord diligently and I had five different completely unrelated people who had no clue that I was praying this, um, basically give me some sort of encouragement uh, about pursuing Brooke um, without me asking them or prompting them. And so that was a, a fun confirmation. And uh, then we went on a coffee date. And from the time of that first coffee date to the time we were married was three months. So that's a, wow. a, a little bit of an interesting uh, story there. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, how... What was that decision like? Was it just uh, right time, right you know season of life? Because uh, it's, it's obviously not a, not a small decision, right? So, uh, what was that like for you guys, and um, and and being able to make that decision towards marriage so quickly? Yeah, we both ultimately knew very early on um, that we were going to get married, and so it was an easy decision for us. I don't think mm. it was as easy of a decision for our families to accept and comprehend, but. Uh, when we felt the Lord on it, there was no reason not to, especially because we wanted to remain pure and we wanted to be holy in what we were doing. And so for us, knowing that we wanted to get married was something that we didn't want to wait for and um, ultimately displease the Lord through our relationship because um, hmm. we naturally have temptations, especially when we feel like we're supposed to marry someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how long have you guys been married now? Uh, we've been married for six years. Six years. Congrats. Um, so I'll start with the hard question. What's been the most difficult lesson uh, that you've learned being married so far? 
So the most difficult uh, lesson that I've learned is how Brooke and I process things and just how we ultimately think about things differently, how we go about our emotions differently. Um, and so learning how to serve Brooke when we get in arguments, because um, ultimately I'm the person that wants to deal with things right there and right then. And Brooke needs a little bit of time to process. And hmm. so early on that created conflict because, uh, you know, we got married super quickly. And so we didn't have a lot of time to, um, you know, figure out each other before we got married. And so our first couple of months of being married were difficult because we were learning all those things that you would typically learn if you had dated someone longer, if you had a longer engagement. And so learning those things was really difficult for us, but it was something that um, has been really sweet to our marriage as well, because we had to learn through the conflict and ultimately put faith in the Lord. It's like, okay, Lord, you brought us here. Like you led us to get hmm. married. Like you're going to have to help us get through this. And it was a difficult lesson to figure out how she processes things, how I process things and how I can serve her well when we do get in conflict um, is something that's not easy to do of putting yourself below the other person. Definitely. Yeah. And then what about the other side? You know, what's been like the most rewarding and or edifying part of uh, being married for you? The most rewarding has been um, someone who doesn't see me and my apostolic side is crazy. Um, because, you know, <laughs> I, I have big dreams. I have uh, feel like the Lord's, calling me to do big things. And sometimes it can, uh, there's a guy who's a church father, his name's Athanasius and he was in the three hundreds and he wrote a book called on the incarnation. And ultimately he got exiled like five different times from five different Roman emperors. And, um, his nickname was Athanasius against the world. And hmm. so a lot of times I can feel like it's Kevin against the world because I, I feel like I'm trying to follow the Lord and do these things. And I'm like calling out things in, uh, you know, that I see that need to be changed and it can feel like it's me against the world. And like, I'm all alone in that. But with Brooke, she's been someone to come alongside me and she's, you know, definitely provides correction at time of being like, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Or uh, I think you're overthinking this. And then there are other times where she's like, yeah, absolutely. You need to keep pursuing this, even though it's really difficult, it's really hard. And it feels like you're against the world and having mm -hmm. her alongside of me, it's like, okay, it's not just me against the world it's me and Brooke against the world. And that feels a little mm. bit better. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. And I can only imagine that now planting a church and essentially going out on your own and having to support yourself is a little bit, kind of probably feels like that same, you know, Kevin and Brooke against the world. How are you guys making it work? Like, what does it actually look like to plant a church and be able to support yourself and practically, you know, stay sane throughout the whole process? Yeah. So ultimately we knew we wanted to plant church a little bit differently. Um, again, I, I, I do things a little bit differently. And so um, a lot of the ways that most churches are planted today fall into one of two categories. It's the big launch model where you assemble as big of a team as you can, raise as much money as you can and have a first huge Sunday. And it ends up being a little bit more tractional. And then there's the opposite side of that, which is the more missional incarnational model where you launch super 
small organically. You don't have structures. It just kind of forms. It will typically start as a house church or something like that. And for us, we knew that we wanted to do uh, some sort of the middle ground there. And Mm. so figuring out what that looked like was really difficult in the beginning because it was a lot of seeking the Lord. And um, ultimately, one of the things that I found and really uh, was able to cling to was how John Wesley operated. And John Wesley is probably my favorite uh, historical theologian and historical um, Christian of all time, just because he was able to develop these really great systems and really great processes that really propelled Methodism throughout the First Great Awakening in England and then also in America. And so being able to cling on to something like that and find out that, um, you know, it's not just me and I don't have to invent everything myself and I can ultimately learn from other people and learn from other systems was an encouraging part. But it's definitely been a difficult process as well, um, especially early on when um, you're telling people your vision and what you're what you feel the Lord calling you to. And sometimes people respond really well to that. And sometimes people don't respond well to that. And some Mm. people we expected to respond well. And it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, you're doing that. And then other people that we don't expect to react at all are like, yeah, that's awesome. I want I want to support you. And ultimately, mm. we've been able to, um, you know, get a core team around us. We have a couple dozen people that are interested in being a part of it. And so we're at this interesting Genesis stage where uh, next month on March 7th we're, is our first Saturday worship gathering. And then we start meeting weekly after that. And that's leads to a six month time of really focusing in on discipleship of growing uh, the, that culture of people in the very beginning and then launching publicly, you know, we were kind of already launched in March, but ultimately Mm. going towards a slightly larger launch in September where we've been able to build some of the systems and the processes and figure out how to do this thing called church as a body Mm. called city church and then get to launch out a little bit larger, but it's been a really fun process so far. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. I want to come back to, uh, you know, the church plans and the vision. And since you're an idea guy, I want to hear about all about the ideas, but also practically like, um, how are you guys supporting yourself? Like, I I know that you're doing some consulting and marketing and you've kind of gone out your own and obviously planting a church isn't, a a, a luxurious, um, lifestyle, especially in the beginning. Right. So, uh, how do you, how do you make it work? Yeah, so ultimately, um, I'm really thankful that I have the skills that I do have. Um, I didn't expect to have to go out on my own and be a consultant, and I'll I'll leave that at that. Um, but in in December of 2019, I, I found out that I was no longer employed and had some had a generous severance there, um, but ultimately had to figure something else out and um, was able to get consulting really early on and have some consistent client work there. And so we're able to support ourselves through that as well as my wife working. She's a property manager um, mm-hmm. at an apartment community. And so that's how we pay our own personal bills. But with launching a church, it becomes really difficult because, um, you know, we're non-denominational. And so we have to raise all of our own support and ask people for money. And um, that can go really poorly at times. And it can create responses to you when you're asking for money that you're just not prepared for. And you know, as a servant of Christ and as someone who's trying to be a light for the gospel, you want to respond one way in your flesh, but you have to check yourself as well in the Holy Spirit and, you know, respond mm. 
faithfully and truly to what it is that God is calling you to be um, as an ambassador to the world. Um, but yeah, so we support ourselves through working. We plan to continue doing that. Um, we won't be taking any money from the church at first. Um, eventually, we'll take a small like housing allowance as the church is able to do that. But right now, everything that comes in goes directly towards our plans for the church and launching it, which has been really great to be able to do that and not have to mm. worry about paying ourselves and not have to worry about raising a lot more money to be able to you know worry about paying our own bills so we get to raise just the bare minimum we need to launch which is definitely a blessing as well yeah yeah that's amazing and uh obviously it's kind of like balancing two jobs in some sense right so do you have to time block your days or do you uh i mean i assume also there has to be a conversation around here's what our days and weeks are going to look like um, any productivity tips or, um, you know, speaking from experience of how you've kind of made it work, being able to juggle both of these at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. So I do time block my day. Um, ultimately I'm doing 20 hours of consulting a week right now. And that's where I plan on keeping it if at all possible. Um, and so what I do, and this is just kind of my daily schedule, Monday through Thursday is when I do consulting. So I do about five hours a day, Monday through Thursday. Friday is a day that's dedicated to church planting. And then I also have a few hours throughout the days on Monday through Thursday that's also dedicated to that. So my daily mm -hmm. schedule, Monday through Thursday, is I wake up about 6.30, um, you know, do the normal morning things. And then 7.30, I spend some time in prayer. Eight to nine, I do um, ultimately reading, whether that's the Bible or other works to to get some study time in from 9 to 9 30 i try and do email for the church or for other things and then i time block 9 30 to 12 to do consulting work at two and a half hours then i have from 12 to 1 30 for lunch so that i can meet other people so i have 15 minutes to get to wherever i need to go mm. an hour for lunch 15 minutes to get back and then i do 1 30 to 4 as another time block for consulting and then ultimately about four to six for church work after that as well yeah yeah that's awesome um it sounds like you've got a really good system going on i'm i'm impressed <laughs> it's got to say i mean but also right that's how you have to make it work right um so what are some of your long-term goals you know like where do you see god taking you and brooke and city church um in the next five ten years it could even just be in the next year right but just tell me about kind of your vision for the future and what you think god has in store for you yeah absolutely so my my ultimate focus is on the mission of God, and my desire is to make disciples and to help other people make disciples. And um, that's where I want to be. That's what I want my legacy to be. I don't want it to be that I did anything else. It was that I helped other people to make much of Jesus. And that's if I can be known for something, that's what I want to be known for. And mm. everything that I, I want to do is centered around that. And so obviously we're planting City Church and we have uh, no desire to do anything but that at this present moment, because that's everything we have is getting poured into that. Um, but then also we live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which is by far one of the fastest growing areas in the entire nation. 1.3 million people moved here in the last 10 years. Another 1.3 wow. million are moving here in the next 10 years. And 
So it's this really weird place to be in of being in the Bible Belt, being in Texas in this really um, conservative Christian area, which is no longer being that. And so there's a huge need for more churches to be planted. And so my hope over the next 10 years is that we can plant City Church well and that through that we can plant other churches out of City Church and that we can also um, also figure out how to help other churches that aren't being planted out of our congregation, but helping other pastors plant other churches in the area and in the region around Dallas-Fort Worth. Hmm. Yeah. And so speaking a little bit closer to discipleship, um, like what are some of the issues and struggles that you've personally seen with Christian men, even just, you know, Christians in general, but, um, you know, this audience being a little bit more tailored to, um, to, to men and, and to males, like what, what do you see some of the things that are like the major th- the themes or patterns that you see people struggling with today? I, I think one of the biggest things ultimately comes down to what it means to be a Christian. Um, hmm. And I think it's really easy for us to see Jesus as an add-on to our lives. It's, um, you know, I, I'm this person, then, you know, I also got some Jesus added in on top of that, or or we mm. compartmentalize. I, I'm a Christian on Sunday, and then I, I, you know, work as a business person throughout the week, or I work as a teacher, or, or whatever it is. And we have this interesting dynamic where we kind of live these two-faced lives at time, where we're like, try and be all in for Christ in our church. And then that doesn't translate to the outside world. And I think a lot of it is because we focused in, especially as the church and I'm speaking to church leaders as we focused in on trying to create do's and do nots in the lives of people around us. Like, okay, do this, read your Bible every day. Um, you know, pray every day. Don't, don't cuss, don't watch these things. And ultimately I believe in that, you know, I, I love John Wesley. I love the holiness tradition. Um, I probably have more rules for myself than most people do, and that's perfectly (laughs) fine. Um, But ultimately, one of the things that we haven't really seen injected is what is the core calling of every single believer in Christ? And that's to make disciples. Um, And Mm. for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because of the American dream and because of like our hyper individualized society, we've all wanted to figure out what our calling is. And so that's a common thing. And you can read about it on any Christian magazine out there, everything that's targeting Christian high schoolers is, well, what are you called to do? What's the Lord calling you to do? And we try and get this really clear cut vision of what does God's calling us to do. And like, I I live here in Denton. Denton is 140,000 people, but then we also have two universities that have another 60,000 university students here. And so there are tons of people wrestling with that question of what am I called to do? And it becomes this roadblock in most of our lives of like, well, you know, I'm not hearing God call me to this specific thing. So I'm just going to try and do whatever it is and try and throw Jesus in on top of that. And it ends up becoming debilitating because we haven't heard the specific calling from the Lord. Um, And instead, if we realize that we're all called to make disciples, that that's our primary calling in the world is to make Jesus famous, to love him and to tell other people about him, whether that means we do it as a teacher or uh, working in the government or as a business person, we see that that is our core mission is the mission of God. Then that reflects more 
at a deeper level of what it is we've been called to do. And it forms us into loving Jesus more throughout our lives. Cause when we see that we're like, we're on a mission, like when we go to our jobs, we, we know that, okay, I got to wake up. I need to get my coffee. I got to zone in and I got to do the work. And when we see that our Christian life isn't necessarily just about our own personal relationship with Jesus, cause that's really what it's been about in the last 50 years. And when we see it as, it's yes, it is about my personal relationship with Jesus, but also because he's calling me to reach out to my neighbors or to my coworkers or the people mm. around me. And we, when we make that shift, then we can really grow as disciples. Um, A.W. Tozer, who's one of my favorite uh, authors, I've read a ton of his stuff. He's an old dead guy. I, I mainly read old dead guys. I've quoted Wesley, <laughs> Athanasius, and Tozer um, so far <laughs> during the podcast. And so I, I like old dead guys. And my shelf behind me is mainly full of old dead guys. Uh, but A.W. Tozer has this book called um, The Knowledge of the Holy. And I read it 10 years ago. And the opening line of that book is what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's really true. And it's really formative at a deep level of who do we think God is? Is he a mad God who wants to condemn the world and throw the world into hell? Or is he a loving father who loves the son through the spirit and wants to reconcile the world to himself? And when we see him as the God, the, the latter God, who is a reconciling, loving God, then it's really easy for us to live life on mission and to grow as disciples of Christ. It's still not easy, but it's easy easier when we have that vision of who God is. Hmm. Yeah. I love that. It's actually the, you're the second person to mention that quote in the last couple of, uh, interviews and conversations that we've done for the podcast. Um, and I think it's, it's so key, you know, especially to our own personal growth. And you were talking about, you know, how key it is to, uh, growing as disciples. Um, and so also speaking for yourself, like how have you changed or grown, personally, like how has the Lord been speaking to you or challenging to you or challenging you, um, recently? Yeah. So like I said, we're in this midst of fundraising and it's been the most trying time of my life. Um, just because it's really difficult to, um, remain faithful to who the Lord is. Um, you know, when we're talking about the fruit of the spirit in Galatians six, um, Paul throws in this quote of like, if you walk by the spirit, keep in step by the spirit. And that's a terrible paraphrase, but it says something to that effect. Um, and I didn't really get that until we started raising money. Cause it's really easy to ask the Lord to grow us in patience or in love or joy or kindness or faithfulness mm. or goodness. Like when we pray for those individual things of the fruit of the spirit, it's, it's a little easier to grow in them. Um, but then at times when you are tested and ultimately are thrown into the situation that you don't expect at all. That's when you can really see if you're living by the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of the flesh. And so throughout this fundraising effort is, is we've had some responses that we just don't expect at all. Um, And even from people that are close to us and, we go into the meeting to talk with them about fundraising and supporting us. And we're like, yeah, they're definitely going to give us money and they're definitely going to be supportive and on board with what we're doing. And then leaving um, that meeting and just feeling completely devastated and torn down and personally attacked at times. And that's a really difficult place to be in. And so relying on the Lord through that and, and really seeing a need to make sure that I'm spending time with him, not just because um, that's what I I need, but because I know that without that, 
I'm going to respond throughout the flesh and I'm going to respond through my natural inclination of, you know, being a person that just wants to be right and to set the mm. record straight. But instead I can respond in love and I can uh, respond as a person of peace instead of this person who just wants to pick the fight and win the battle. Right, right. Definitely. And what's something that you've changed your mind about recently or something that uh, maybe you've kind of flipped your stance on uh, in the va- in the past few months or even years? Oh, goodness. This could go so many different ways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ultimately, I think one of the, the most interesting things that I didn't expect in my life was becoming a little bit more liturgical um, in in how I view how the church should operate. And, you know, I haven't gone full high church or anything like that. And, you know, I don't get to wear a cool uh, dress or anything when I (laughs) preach, but, you know, I am jealous of, you know, the Anglicans that get to do that. Um, But ultimately I read this book last year and just kind of went through searching of what it means to really follow Jesus when we were looking at church planting and um, saw some people doing churches quite interestingly, where it was a little bit liturgical, but it was also still very evangelical and how it operated. And so there were a few books that I had ultimately read. And the, the best book that I read throughout that time is a book by Andrew Wilson called Spirit and Sacrament. And it was this idea where he's uh, a charismatic guy, but he's also um, a little bit liturgical in how he works. And he's also a little bit uh, Bible based in how he works. And obviously we're all Bible based, but, you know, the specific subset of doing things in what would Mm. typically be called a Bible church here in America. Um, So he kind of combines all these things into a book that's really holistic look at what it means to do all those things and do them interconnectedly. And so I found myself in this weird place where we're planning a church where we make a big deal of communion and where we have a communion liturgy, which I never expected to do because I I was a charismatic (laughs) guy. You know, I wanted everything unplanned and, you know, I wanted to have the three hour runaway service and all that fun stuff. And now I'm like scripting in silence and scripting in, uh, you know, time for communion and time for each person to come up and take communion. And that was something that I definitely didn't expect that has been a shift in my own life. Hmm. Very interesting. I'm so glad I asked that question because I never would have gotten that. Um, If you can go back and have a heart to heart with 18 year old Kevin and go back in your time machine and be able to talk to him personally um, about what it means to be a man and give him some advice, what would you tell him? What would you say? Yeah. So I talked about Athanasius and Athanasius against the world. And, um, you know, I'm a guy that likes to be right. And I, uh, you know, my natural tendency is to argue and debate. I, I was in debate in high school. And so that's what I knew. And so coming out of high school, Mm -hmm. being a a really good debater and, uh, you know, winning a lot of debates in high school at an academic level, um, was something that, formed me into a person that wasn't necessarily easy to get along with, that was more combative, that um, that ultimately wasn't great at cultivating relationships because of that. And hmm. that would be the thing that I would go back and uh, tell myself is not to be right about everything. And even if you are right about it, that's fine, but you need to be a little bit more ecumenical in how you approach it. And um, hmm. that's something I've had to grow a lot in, you know, since 
growing up and you know figuring out what it means to to live a life of working with others and helping others and um, interacting with the world around me and I think that ultimately one of the reasons that we live in such a divided world today is because we all want to be right and we don't know how to see other viewpoints and to have conversations that are um, good conversations and not just me trying to convince you that you're wrong or that I'm right. Being like, hey, we disagree on that. That's fine. Let's figure out the things we can't agree on and talk about those. And yeah, there may be some things that we can't reconcile at all and we need to separate for the better. But I think those times are fewer than we ultimately think they are. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So wrapping up here a little bit, uh, I have a couple of kind of rapid fire questions, but um, what are your favorite books? And you've already mentioned a few. But uh, are there any that you recommend um, maybe more often than others or if you could just, you know, hear like the one or two that everyone needs to read? Yeah. So Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer is one that I would definitely recommend. Um, he also has another book called The Pursuit of God. And both of those are really yeah. formative to me. Um, really great for me. Uh, a few others that I've really enjoyed recently. There's a book called Delighting in the Trinity um, by Michael Reeves. And it's it's a short book. It's about 120 or 150 pages talking about um, how to view the Trinity. And it's not just like this weird doctrine, but ultimately who God is that was really helpful in visualizing it in a real way. Um, other than that, if you're a little bit nerdy and you really like church history, I really recommend a biography called uh, Wesley and the People Called Methodists by uh, Heitzen Rader. Mm. I think he's a Duke professor, and so it's a little bit more of an in-depth history into uh, Wesley and the Methodist movement. And then also, if you want a shorter history of Methodism, because I got to put Methodism <laughs> out there because I, I really love John Wesley. Uh, there's a newer book called Marks of the Movement by a guy named Winfield Bevins that's about 200 pages uh, really easy to read. And that talks about Wesley and church planning and the movement that he was able to start and some of the systems and processes. There's a chapter in there on discipleship and discipleship systems that is like, if you don't read the rest of the book, just read that one chapter and it's incredible. Hmm. And then who do you look up to? And this could be, uh, you know, uh, dead or alive, um, public figures, mentors, coaches, uh, but who, who do you personally look up to? Yeah, I think the people that I look up to most is um, I, I've never had that person that I would call a mentor in my life. I've definitely had people that have shaped me and have been formative in my life, but never in that formal role um, as a mentor. The people that affect me most are the people that um, are relentlessly pursuing the Lord. And um, so like, for instance, the person that has surprised me the most has become my absolute favorite person in the world over the last year is Beth Moore, um, which is something mm -hmm. that I never expected, you know, because Beth Moore is like the champion of women's Bible study and has put out countless numbers of them. But I started following her on Twitter um, sometime last year and she was being attacked at all different levels and um, getting into like so many people being accusatory and um, going after her for different things. And just seeing the grace and the poise that she responded with was something that was um, something I didn't expect. It was like, OK, you can really love people well and not have to you know, prove yourself right over and over again. But ultimately it's mm. the people that love the Lord. Well, they're doing things for him and that ultimately just keep on doing those things, even in the face of adversity. Yeah. And then final question, if you could say one thing 
to the next generation of Christian men, and that can be uh, people you know in their twenties and their tens and their zeros. But if you just had one thing to leave them with, what would you say? Can I say two things? Yes, you're allowed okay. to say two things. I, I'm We're say not two so things. legalistic here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to leave my mic drop for the end. But ultimately, the first one I would say <laughs> is you can't love Jesus too much. Um, pursue him, continually pursue him. And ultimately, it doesn't matter what the world around you is doing. If you continually pursue God, if you continually pursue a relationship with Jesus, it's going to be the best thing about your life. You don't have to pursue God the way the world's pursuing God. You don't have to tone down your walk with the Lord because everyone else is toning down their walk with the Lord. You can radically pursue Christ. And then the second thing, and this is the one where I'm sorry if you get hate mail for this, Corey, um, (laughs) but the second thing I want to say is stop watching porn. It's not mm. fulfilling. It's not going to help you. It's going to cause relationship issues in your life in the future. And ultimately, the people that you're watching don't enjoy it. The people that are on the screen aren't there by choice. And you just need to stop. Yeah, I'm really glad you mentioned that. We'll probably get love mail for that because uh, we've we actually, I mean, we definitely encourage talking about We did an episode early on um, in the podcast called Let's Talk About Porn. And it's actually one of our more interest or um, definitely one of the more interesting ones, but also one of the more popular ones because, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's a rampant problem. Um, it's something that we harp on a lot, something that we've you know personally gone through, experienced, overcome, but also try to help others overcome as well. So really glad that you mentioned that. Awesome. So Kevin, thank you so much, seriously, for taking the time. Um, if people want to learn more about you, follow along in your journey, learn more about how they can help you uh, in supporting for the church plant, um, where would you send them? Yeah. So you can go to citychurchdenton.com. That'll tell you more information about us as a church. Um, I'm also on Twitter and tweet too much at Kevin D. Fontenot (laughs) and then also on Facebook as well. And I'm more than happy to connect and happy to reach out. I'm not the guy that, uh, you know, turns off private messages. My DMs are open. So feel free to reach out and I'd love to chat. Amazing. Guys, I would absolutely take Kevin up on that. Kevin, thanks again for coming on and we will see you in the next one. 